0: All right, um, we have a lot to go through. You have my handout so you can see it's it's Mark Burke-esque, really, I mean, it's it gets there. So we'll go ahead and get started and dive right in. Uh, there's a lot to say and a lot to do and um, not a whole lot of time. I've got about 15 minutes for those of you who wanna eat at noon. Um, for the rest of us who will, who will stay here for the remainder of my sermon, um, we'll, we'll dive right in. And, and really, as, as I was praying about what the Lord wanted me to share this morning, um, I, I just I started to pull this thread that, um, that I found in Scripture and, and began to unravel uh, the undergarments of the Word, if you will, um, as, as I'm studying through this. So we, I, I, I've really been praying um, about where we are, in this world. I, I call it this dying world because truly as you look out into what's going on in this land and, and the various things that are happening, um, you know, it 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 it's exciting. It hurts my heart in a sense. Um, I, I can see the the book of Revelation coming to life and, and whether you're a post-trib or a pre-trib or a mid-trib doesn't really matter. Um, I have felt for the very longest of times that, that the end is near, right? And it's something that's been preached for uh, decades, centuries, right? The end is coming. Jesus is coming. And, and I truly believe that. I, I believe that with all of my heart. And, and the enemy would want you to think that that's not true, that Jesus isn't coming soon, that it's going to be a long, long, long ways from now. And so don't worry about it. Just relax. You know, hang back, enjoy his presence, everything's gonna be okay. And and I, I'm here to tell you that's just that's a lie. Will will I die before I see the Lord return? I can't answer that. I I feel in my heart that I will be here when the end is, is here. I will I will hear that trumpet sound. I mean regardless, you're gonna hear the trumpet sound, right? Wherever you are. But will i be here on this Or i i don't know and, and i can't tell you if you will be here either i i just don't know but but at the end of the day it doesn't really matter i i have been taught since i was a young christian at the ripe old age of 15 that jesus is coming the end times are here and, and you have to be vigilant right um it has been interesting to see the way this world is playing out. Because one of the things that they, they teach you as you learn about Revelation and, and the sermons that go on about the end times is that there's going to be this this antichrist, there's going to be this universal currency, there's going to be a universal religion, and, and Christians will be persecuted. There's going to be earthquakes and, and wars and rumors of wars and all these, these uh, cataclysmic things that are happening. And if you look out in this world right now, you see glimpses of that. You hear of these things, and, and so many people are, are are quick to point out. That's it. That's that's the beginning. We're here. We're here. And and I'm not I'm not here to say that. Okay, I'm, I'm not uh, an extremist in that sense. But I will say that the signs are very very clear that something is happening out there in this world. And whether you want to pl- uh you want to blame. Climate change on on what humans have done, or or whether it's a natural occurrence in the life cycle of the earth, or or truly it's it's God's powerful heat coming down. It it doesn't really matter. The fact is something is happening. Something is happening, and and what we attribute it to really has to do with our faith, right? Um, I was reading the other day. I think I've mentioned this before about Mark Zuckerberg's cryptocurrency, his, his universal coin that he wants to create, and, and whether he gets to do it or not is inconsequential, right? Someone one day will create a universal currency that everybody can use, but, but we're already kind of in that state right now with Bitcoin and, and all the things that are going on. We're getting to a place where all of these things are, are starting to become unified. When you talk about universal religion, is there going to be a religion that everybody subscribes to? No. Obviously not because as Christians we have learned uh stay away from that. But but really what that what is at the heart of that message is one day there will be a religion where they say everybody's invited, doesn't matter what you believe. Let's let's just come together and and you know be one. That exists today. Did you know that? It exists today. And this world is trying to put us in a place where they say, doesn't matter if you're a, a Muslim or a Buddhist or a Christian or a Jew or a Hindu, come and be a part of, of the family of the universe. Be a part of this one world religion where we can all be united as humanity and just love one another. Look, the message is sound. I get it. I get it. We need to eliminate hate and violence obviously that's something that jesus wanted to do as well but but not in that way in fact when we really look at what jesus said in matthew it's the first verse on your on your sheet there jesus said these words plugged straight out of the, the scriptures matthew ten thirty four. think not that i came to send peace on earth i came not to send peace but a sword what does that mean i thought jesus was all loving I thought he wanted us all to be together and singing kumbaya around a campfire. I came to bring a sword. It goes on to say, it's not on your sheet, but you can read it for yourself. The scripture's there. It goes on to say, I came to bring enmity between a father and a son, mothers and daughters. I, I'm going to bring that division. So so here we are in a world that preaches unity, and and here we are. <laughs> In, in a religion that says no, 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 there's there will be division. I'm I'm dividing those that believe from those who don't believe. I'm dividing those who want to follow the plan and the purpose of God and those who just say, hey, I'm I'm going to do my own thing and everything's allowed. That's that's what he's saying right here. And so again, as I'm as I'm pulling on this thread of, of scripture, and I'm studying and I'm reading, more than ever, it is time for us to be vigilant it is time for us to make sure that we are on course and the way that i started to read through all of these things led me to john chapter 12 verse 28 that's where we're going to start the bible says and jesus answered them saying the hours come that the son of man should be glorified verily verily i say unto you except a corn of wheat fall into the ground and die it abides alone but if it dies It brings forth much fruit. He that loves his life shall lose it. And he that hates his life in this world shall keep it unto life eternal. He that hates his life in this world shall keep it unto life eternal. If any man serve me, let him follow me. And where I am, there shall also my servant be. If any man serve me, him will my father Honor. So today I want to talk to you about servanthood, about being servants, and how that leads us to be sons. In fact, Paul, in the book of Romans, and, and in many of other of his books, begins similarly with this, with this phrasing. Paul, Romans 1.1, 1, 1, Paul, a servant of Christ, called to be an apostle, separated unto the gospel of God. Servanthood. Let's read real quick, Matthew 24. Watch therefore, for you know not what hour your Lord comes. But know this that if the good men of the house had known in what watch the thief would come, he would have watched, and would not have suffered his house to be broken up. Therefore be ye also ready, for in such an hour as you think not, the Son of Man comes. Who then is a faithful and wise servant, whom his Lord hath made ruler over his household to give them meat in due season? Blessed is that servant whom his Lord, when he comes, shall find so doing. Verily I say unto you that he shall make him ruler over all his goods. But, and if that evil servant shall say in his heart, My Lord delays his coming, and shall begin to smite his fellow servants, and to eat and drink with the drunken, the Lord of that servant shall come in a day when he looks not for him, and in an hour that he is not aware of, and shall cut him asunder, and appoint him his portion with the hypocrites." There shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. We're going to read the next one as well, but, but I just want to point out very clearly here, Jesus is referring to us as servants. And, and, it, and if you don't think he's referring to us, then think of it this way. He's referring to an, an action of someone going away, the Lord of the house going away and people left behind to administer, administrate the items of the household. And because that that person is gone, the Lord of the house is gone, the people left behind are tasked with making sure that they stay on duty, on watch for whatever goes on. And if they don't, when the Lord returns, there will be a reckoning. There will be a reckoning is what it says. And, And so we have to understand that this is talking about us, all of us. And, and we have to be on watch. Matthew twenty, twenty five through 28. Jesus called them unto him and said, you know that the princes of the Gentiles exercise dominion over them, and they that are great exercise authority upon them. He's talking to his disciples here. But it shall not be so among you. But whosoever will be great among you, let him be your minister. And whosoever will be chief among you, let him be your servant. Even as the Son of Man came not to be ministered unto, but to minister and to give his life a ransom for many. Jesus has called us to be servants. And, and later, we'll find out why. But when you look at this, understand that he is talking about every single one of us. So, I want to look through Scripture and talk about the characteristics of servants. What are those things that define servanthood and we're going to start here in john chapter 2 beginning at verse 1. you all know this story i'm going to read it because it is such a great story i love it so much but we're going to read it john chapter 2 verse 1 and the third day there was a marriage in cana of galilee and the mother of jesus was there and both jesus was called and his disciples to the marriage and when they wanted wine the mother of jesus said unto him they have no wine and jesus said unto her woman Woman, what have I to do with thee? Mine hour hour is not yet come. And his mother said unto the servants, Whatsoever he said unto you, do it. And there were set there six water pots of stone after the manner of the purifying of the Jews, containing two or three firkins apiece. And Jesus said unto them, Fill the water pots with water. And they filled them up to the brim. And he said unto them, the servants, Draw out now, and bear unto the governor of the feast, and they bear it. When the ruler of the feast had tasted the water that was made wine, and knew not whence it came, but the servants which drew the water knew, the governor of the feast called the bridegroom and said unto him, Every man at the beginning doth set forth good wine, and when men have well drunk, then that which is worse, but you have kept the good wine until now. I've spoken on this verse before. I, I love this passage because it really talks about partnership with Jesus about following what he's asked you to do uh, you'll notice that Jesus at no at no point in time blessed the water Jesus didn't stand up and, and emanate power from his hands he didn't stand over it. he didn't spit in it he's done that before right he spit into stuff but he didn't spit in this water he he told the servants fill the water pots draw from there and give it out he didn't do anything the servants did, quote-unquote, the work, even though the blessing came from Jesus, right? Don't, let's not diminish what Jesus did, but let's, let's understand that it was a partnership, right? Here's Jesus either sitting down, standing up, whatever you want to say, telling the servants what to do. So as a servant, they come over. They're filling these water pots with water, and they understand something about these water pots. There's, there's seven of them. As, as the manner of the purifying of the Jews, which means that what they do is as soon as they come into the, um, the wedding, they begin to clean themselves using these seven water pots. So they're spread out in such a way where as, as the, the party comes in, they can go to the first water pot and then they just wash their face, right? They dip in, they wash their face, they wash their hands. Some people even maybe take some water and wash their feet because they're filthy, right? They might take their sandals off right there. There's probably a carpet for it, but they wash in that first pot. Then they wash in the second pot and they get a little bit cleaner than the first one. And then they continue going down the line until they're clean, until they are ritually clean. That happened for every single person in that wedding party. So you have to imagine that this first pot of water is filthy. It is probably brown, dirty, nasty water. And by the time you get to the end, it's probably a little bit cleaner, but there's probably still some residual dirt because now you're picking up some, somebody else's dirt and bringing it into this one over here, right? So by the time you get here, all the water's gross. It's all dirty. So Jesus says, grab those nasty, dirty pots, empty them, and fill them with water. Now, they were probably already empty. They were probably going to be cleaned at some point in time after the wedding, but they were probably not clean yet. Not a whole lot of time to do so. So they grab these nasty, dirty pots, and they bring them over, and they just fill them with water. How much time do you think they spent scrubbing out all the dirt and the grime? Maybe they did. I don't know. I wasn't there. So let's say, for the sake of argument, they took... The bare minimum of cleaning duty and wash them out or rinse them or whatever. You've got these pots now that are full of water. Water that it's now soaking in some of that residual dirt that was left over. Water that a servant would probably say, I'm not going to drink this. I don't know why anybody would want to drink this. Because no matter how hard you sat there scrubbing, you would have to. You, you know there would be some dirt left over. These, these weren't vessels for drinking. These were vessels for washing. But the servants, there pouring the water. And, and he, Jesus says, out of that nasty, dirty water, go and serve the people. Now, as a servant, you're probably thinking, I'm not going to drink that. Why would I ever serve this to anybody else? If I serve this to someone and they drink it and they spit it out, who are they going to get mad at? You ever been to a restaurant? Raise your hand if you've been to a restaurant. I think everybody's been to a restaurant, right? When you get bad service at a restaurant, when your food is too cold, too hot, raw, it, it's not cooked enough, right? I, I asked for rice, not beans. When something's wrong with your food, who do you tend to blame for that mistake? The servant, the waiter. You tend to, you tend to blame the person who brought you that food. Recognizing, or, or maybe not, that it's probably not their fault, that they put in a ticket, and if they put it in correctly, doesn't mean that the person expediting or actually cooking the food listened to their instruction, and so they're just going to put stuff out there. The waiter's going to grab it because he's got 30, 40 tables. He's going to grab it. He's going to bring it over. He's not going to check every single thing on your plate. Now, the good ones will, but they're not going to check every single thing on your plate. They're just going to bring you your plate, and it's whose fault that that plate is wrong? The waiter. And what happens to that waiter when that food is wrong and when you're upset. They lose tip, right? And that's what they're working for. They're working for that that tip. And so they lose some of that. They lose that credibility, credibility. You get mad at them. You're not mad at the chef. You're not mad at the manager, even though some people would be. You're mad at the waiter. So here we are back in the past. Jesus has asked them to take this dirty water and to serve it to these people, you don't think that servant is thinking they're going to get mad at me, not at Jesus for telling me to do this. But they did it anyway. That's the beauty of this thing. They did it anyway. A good servant knows when to follow instruction. A good servant knows that regardless of what the instruction is, they're going to follow it regardless of what blame is going to come towards them, regardless of what uh, repercussions might come against them, they know that they have been tasked with following an order, and they're going to follow that order. And the beauty of this story is that they served, quote-unquote, the best wine of the day because they followed instruction. Jesus didn't serve it. Jesus didn't bless it. He asked the waiters to, to stop and do what he has asked and wait for the outcome. How many times has Jesus asked us, the Lord asked us to do the same thing? When have we stopped and said, mm, I don't know about that dirty water, Jesus. There might be a better way. Let me, let me come up with something for you. Let me, let me think through this and I'll, I'll, I'll decide what might be best for my path going forward. A good servant knows to do what has been asked of them. And that's one of the lessons that we have to learn when we move from servanthood to sonship. A good servant will do what has been asked of them. I have been um, on both sides of that line. I I was a waiter at the mansion, as many of you all know. And and it's interesting to see how people treat you um, based on what you're wearing that day, whether you're in the waiter clothes uh, or just a, a normal Joe Schmo out there hobnobbing with the rich folk. It, it's very interesting because there, there is definitely a line of demarcation. And, and we have got to be of the heart that says, I am on the side of the line that says, I will serve the Lord. I will do what he has asked of me because that is what's going to bring us the great wine, the best wine. Let's read Matthew twenty five fourteen. For the kingdom of heaven is as a man traveling into a far country who called his own servants and delivered unto them his goods. And unto one he gave five talents, to another two, and to another one, to every man according to his several ability. And straightway took his journey. Then he that had received the five talents went and traded with the same and made other five talents. And likewise, he that received two, he also gained other two. But he that received one went and digged in the earth and hid his Lord's money. And after a long time, the Lord of those servants came and reckoneth with them. And so he that had received five talents came and brought other five talents, saying, Lord, you gave me five talents. Behold, I have gained beside them five talents more. And his Lord said unto him, Well done, thou good and faithful servant. Thou hast been faithful over a few things. I will make thee ruler over many things. Enter thou into the joy of the Lord." And he also that received two talents came and said, Lord, you gave me two talents. Behold, I have gained two more talents beside them. And his Lord said unto him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a few things. I will make thee ruler over many things. Enter thou into the joy of the Lord. Verse 24. Then he which had received the one talent came and said, Lord, I knew that thou art a hard man, reaping where thou hast not sown, gathering where thou hast not strawed, and I was afraid and went and hid thy talent in the earth. Lo, there thou hast that is thine. And his Lord answered and said unto him, Thou wicked and slothful servant, you knew that I reap where I sowed not and gathered where I, where I have not strawed. You ought therefore to have put my money to the exchangers. And then at my coming, I should have received my own with interest, with usury. Take therefore the talent from him and give it unto him which has 10 talents for unto every one that has shall be given and he shall be have and he shall have abundance excuse me but from him that has not shall be taken away even that which he has and cast ye the unprofitable servant into outer darkness there shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth what a long story to illustrate the next idea we invest what we have because we're trustworthy. I think Monica said that this morning as well. God has called us to be trustworthy. He's called us to be those that take what we have and invest them into the future. And and as a servant, it's it's very easy to take that stance of the first guy, right? Look, I'm going to have some, I'm going to be given something. I'm going to protect it. I'll I'll hold on to it, but I'm not going to do anything with it. I'm not going to Uh, accelerate the growth of this thing. I'm not going to push it forward. I'm just going to sit here and and see what happens when he comes back. Because when he comes back, at least it will be protected and he can have it back, right? No, no. The Lord is asking for those uh, of us with talents, with gifts, with this ability to move these things forward and, and to really touch the heart of God, we have to be known as trustworthy. That's number two. Let's look at the next one. Luke chapter 15, verse 11. And he said, a certain man had two sons. And the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the portion of goods that falls to me. And he divided unto them his living. And not many days after, the younger son gathered everything together and took his journey into a far country and there wasted his substance with riotous living. I'm going to stop there and I'm going I'm to fast forward. The scripture's right there. You can read it for yourself. But, but I want to get to the meat of this thing. So the son, the prodigal son, goes and wastes his life. He recognizes that, hey, I could be living better at my father's house as a servant. So he says, I'm just going to go home and see what happens. He comes home, and uh, his father sees him afar off and had compassion, ran, fell on his neck, and kissed him. So we're going to start here at verse 21. And the son said unto the father, I have sinned against heaven, and I'm not worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, bring forth the best robe bring forth the signet ring let's kill the fatted calf let's eat it my son was dead and is alive again let's have a party and he heard music and dancing and there was music and dancing and the elder son heard it from a field verse 26 and he called one of the servants and asked what these things meant and he said unto him your brother has come and your father killed the fatted calf because he has received him safe and sound and he was angry and would not go in, therefore came his father out and entreated him. And he answering said to his father, "'Lo, these many years do I serve thee, "'neither transgressed I at any time your commandment, "'and yet thou never gavest me a kid "'that I might make merry with my friends. "'But as soon as this thy son was come, "'which hath devoured the living with harlots, "'thou hast held for him the fatted calf.' "'And he said unto him, "'Son, you are ever with me, and all that I have is yours, it was meet that we should make merry and be glad for your brother was dead and is alive again and was lost and is found. We've said this before. This is a story of two sons. One who decided to waste his inheritance and, and to go off and experience the world and, and and just determined in his heart that he wanted to be alive, live his truth, right? And so he goes out there and he does these things and, and recognizes that the world has nothing to offer to him, comes back home. Um, and, and so the, the parable here, the story is, look, it doesn't matter how lost you think you are, how far away you've gotten, the Lord loves you and he wants you to return. It, it's a beautiful story of redemption, of forgiveness. It, it's something that that we want to make sure that this world knows, it doesn't matter how far off you've gone, you you come back to the Lord and and he will love you and accept you. And, and the second part is of the son, that stayed home who says, it's not fair that my brother gets to go off and experience the world and do whatever he wants. And, and I'm, I'm here at home doing what you've asked of me. And, and then there you are throwing him a party. When he comes back, he's wasted everything already. And you're throwing him a party. And, and the, the, the father says to that son, look, everything that I have is yours it's all yours if you wanted to have a party look it's your fatted calf have the party right so so i look at this story and 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 notice the two stories yes but i, I want to focus today on the other son a- and not the not the evil intent that he had. it's not evil but not the the bad intent that he had towards his brother it, it's frustrating right when you when you do good and and your your brother <laughs> doesn't do good and he gets rewarded for his bad behavior because, you know, your parents love him or whatever. Not that that's ever happened to me. But the son who stayed home served. And that's what I want to focus on. The, the son that stayed home served. And I believe that is the appropriate thing to have done, obviously, but, but when we look at this, we have to understand what was available to that son through, and here's the kicker, through his servanthood. And the father tells him that very specifically. Look, um, you are with me always. Number one, you get the, the, the privilege of my presence with you all the time. Now, Now, from a humanistic standpoint, right, that, that probably doesn't mean a whole lot to this son. But, but from a spiritual one, what does that mean? To be in this house serving the Father, serving the Lord, there is, there is the added bonus of presence. Imagine how much wisdom, knowledge, relationship, information comes when you are there serving with the Father. I, I remember, as the good son, my father having to go out to um, to do odd jobs, right? He, he had a, a normal day-to-day job, but but having to raise this family of, of three young children at an early age, he he felt the need to go out and work even harder, even more, um, so he would do odd jobs for people and, and then get paid for them. Odd jobs like he would install ceiling fans for people. One of the things that I remember doing a lot of is installing uh, outdoor... Uh, lights, those those giant garage lights that go on the outside. They've got those huge halogen bulbs that you have to install. There's a very specific way that you have to do it, and a certain amount of power. My dad was not an electrician, um, but but he was smart enough to figure things out and not get us killed, so that we could install these things. So we installed several of those. those they were a fad at the time, I guess. Um, but we would install these these giant garage lights on the outside of the house, and and they were on timers, so when the sun would go down. You know, they, they would uh, light up. And so you had to, again, install them a very specific way. So that kind of thing. We would do, like, like I said, ceiling fans. We would go into people's attics and, and have to do a bunch of stuff. My dad did plumbing. I went with him on these jobs. And I hated doing it, right? It's not like I liked it. But, but I loved my father. And I felt the, the I don't want to call it a compulsion, this, this desire to serve my father in that way, that I would go with him. Very rarely would my older brother go with us. Very rarely, and and probably more of a a matter of the times, would my sister go with us, right? She was a lady. Ladies don't do these things, but they can. They just should. I would go then with my father on these odd jobs, and during that time, we, we didn't sit and bond really. He didn't talk to me about the birds and the bees while we're installing these lights. We we didn't talk about what I wanted to be when I grew up. It was a very silent time, but the thing that I got out of it the most was knowledge. It was information, so much so that um, I I was quite proud of myself when we first moved into our house in Forney, um, what, 15 years ago, something like that, where the, the girls, the what would be the future girls bedroom, the guest bedroom, did not have a ceiling fan. And I looked at that, the configuration of the room, I looked into the attic and I thought, I can do this? Why pay someone to do what I know I can do? So I went to Home Depot, or Lowe's I think, I bought a ceiling fan, it was just this, this cute little thing, it wasn't huge, it was kinda small, but I bought this fe- ceiling fan, I, I had a ladder, I went into the room, didn't have any help, it's not like Kelly was holding the tools for me, and installed a ceiling fan all on my own. I took down the light, you know, put the things at the top, where I, uh, turned off the power first, obviously, and then went up in the ceiling and, and did all the things that I had to do, and I installed my very first ceiling fan all by myself. And, and I called my dad that night, and I took pictures of it, right, because we live in this Instagram world. Took pictures of it, and I, and I, I texted him, and I just wanted to say, and, and I called him, and I said, Dad, I just wanted to say thank you because if I had not gone with you to do these things, I wouldn't have known that I can do this. I'm not an electrician, I'm not a plumber, I'm I'm not certified in all these areas, but you taught me one very important lesson and that is that you, Fabian, can do it. You can do it. And I got that because of presence. I got that because of servanthood. I got that because I was there with my father learning these things that is what this story teaches us about the second son look i get it it's 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 looks fun out there doesn't it pinocchio it looks amazing and there's rides and there's 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 all this this fire and people and and it looks it looks awesome there's fireworks but it's not where you should be you need to be here with me learning and growing there will be benefit. You don't feel it at the time. I can't tell you how bored I was most of the time, because it's not like my dad let me do the connections, the electrical connections, right? More than anything, I was handing him tools. More than anything, I was watching or or holding the thing up while he was doing something else. We installed uh, air conditioners. That's another thing we like to install, air conditioners in windows. Um, But again, I, I learned so much from my father doing those things and that is what this story is telling us the other thing that it tells us is this so thou art ever with me all that I have is yours everything that God has is yours when you take it from that perspective we have to understand look that 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 world looks inviting but it's it's going to be the death of you if you really really understand what's out there but what you have in here is everything Everything, when you stand with the Lord in His presence, when you go out into this world protected and 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 in the presence of God, you have everything that you need, everything that you need. Maybe not everything that you want, but everything that you want may not necessarily be good for you anyway, but you do have everything that you need because you have all that is God's. That's what we learn about servanthood in the story of the prodigal son. Yes, there's, there's that, that element of look, if you're lost out there, come back. But when, when you really look at it from a servant and sonship standpoint, we learn so much about what God wants to teach us. Because the interesting about this is that those that excel at servanthood soon become a part of the family. Let's look at John chapter eight, verse 33. They answered him, This is the the Pharisees and the Sadducees are talking to Jesus. We be Abraham's seed. I like how it says there. We be Abraham's seed, and we're never in bondage to any man. How sayest thou, Jesus, you shall be made free? And Jesus answered them, Verily, verily, I say unto you, Whosoever commits sin is the servant of sin, and the servant abides not in the house forever. But the Son abides. The Son abides ever. If the Son, Jesus, therefore shall make you free, this is obviously a, a talking about servanthood, if, if the Son shall make you free, you shall be free indeed. I know that you are Abraham's seed, but you seek to kill me because my word has no place in you. I speak that which I have seen with my father, and you do that which you have seen with your father. You are a servant of sin, but you need to be a servant of the father because the father can make you free. Once you get into this idea of servanthood in the house of the Father, Jesus explains to us that 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 beginning state of servanthood leads to freedom that leads to sonship. Matthew 8, 5. Matthew 8, verse 5. And when Jesus was entered into Capernaum, there came unto him a centurion beseeching him, and saying, Lord, my servant lies at home sick of the palsy, grievously tormented. And Jesus said unto him, I will come and heal him. The centurion answered and said, Lord, I'm not worthy that you should come under my roof, but speak the word only and my servant shall be healed. For I'm a man under authority, having soldiers under me. And I say to this man, go. And he goes. And to another, come. And he comes. And to my servant, do this. And he absolutely will do it. And when Jesus heard it, he marveled. And said to them that followed, Verily I say unto you, I have not found so great faith known on in Israel. And I say unto you that many shall come from the east and west, and it shall sit down with Abraham and Isaac and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. But the children of the kingdom shall be cast out into utter darkness, there shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And Jesus said unto the centurion, Go thy way, as thou hast believed, so be it done unto thee. And his servant was healed in the selfsame hour. We read this passage because we believe it has to do with faith. And guess what? It does. It's about faith. It's about the centurion's faith. But, but let's extend it just a little bit further. I've never had a servant, maybe a slave in this situation here, right? What I have had is people that worked with me or for me. I, I pay them to do a service, and, and if they do a great service, then maybe you, you invite them to come back. Many of you have done this as well, babysitters, right? You have a babysitter that might come to your house and watch your children, and, and pretty soon you find that that particular babysitter is not worth inviting back because all they do is watch TV, and then the house is full of lipstick and crayon all over the place, and so what did you pay them for anyway? And then there's others where you, you come home, and, and the kids are at the table, and they're making slime, with, with glue and food coloring and, and things are fun and, and they come home and they're excited and they say, hey, can we have that person back? That's, that's the kind of person you think, yes, I want them back. My kids love them, right? And so you invite them back and then pretty soon you're inviting them back and then back and then whenever you want to go out, they're coming back, right? They're, they're your go-to person and they're your go-to person so much so that all of a sudden, soon they become part of your family. That's what happened with this centurion if you've ever watched the movie Gladiator, and I'm not endorsing the movie. I'm not saying go see it. But if you have happened to see it, we see uh, the character of Russell Crowe, the gladiator, go through as a general, and, and he has a man standing with him, like a, like a right-hand man. But this person is not in the military. He's not a soldier. He is, in all, from all, in all respects, he is his servant. And, and Russell Crowe soon—I'm I'm, going to spoil it. I'm sorry. It's an old movie. You should have seen it by now. Russell Crowe gets captured and um, gets put in jail, essentially. And, and we see throughout this movie the servant all of a sudden appear and begin to work to get his master out of prison and, and back into the life that, that he lived and deserves. And, and my first thought, well, maybe ten thoughts later, but my, my first thought about this guy was, wait a minute, you were serving this man, He's in prison. There's nothing he can do about you anymore. Why not go and live your life? Why not leave? If, if you were paid in any sense, uh, you could take that money and, and just go off and, and, and do your own thing. If you weren't paid, well, look, start over. Go, go work for somebody else or go live a life somewhere else. But, but the thing about this is that that man became family to him. And, and it, was, it was a back and forth. You see that in scenes where, where Russell Crowe and this guy, I don't know his name, I'm just gonna call him this guy, but this guy come together and, and they hug and, and they embrace because they are friends. They are family. They've been together for so long. That's what this centurion was going through. You look at this guy, he's a centurion. That means something. It means that he had many people under him he was saying to this soldier, go and get killed, and he would go and get killed. He would say to this one, hey, come here. I'm about to ask you to do something for me. Rub my feet, right? And that guy would come over and do that thing. And when he said to his servant, go do this, he would go and do this. But the centurion went all the way to Jesus. Despite his day job, despite the, the activities and responsibilities that he had, he went to Jesus and he said, I need you To go and heal that guy over there it's a trek but i need him healed why him why was the servant so special that the centurion needed him to go and do that because this man had many people under his command he could have said the guy's dying time to get a new one that's how they treated people back then why not that i have many servants you can't tell me this was his only servant You can't tell me this was the only person that he kind of pushed around. Why this guy? Why did the centurion go out of his way to go and get this servant healed and better? Did he give the best foot massages? Did he make the best tea? What was it about this servant? It was because he was family, because he loved him, because he had been part of his life forever. We don't know. If, if the, the centurion grew up with this servant, if, if maybe as a young boy, this servant was part of his father's uh, entourage of servants, and then as he left, he took him with him, we don't know that. We don't know if this guy was, was fairly new, and they, they went into the army together, and then he became his right-hand man. I, I akin this to the relationship that, uh, another example, Batman and Alfred. You guys know the story of Batman and Alfred? You do. You, you probably live it every week, right? Batman and Alfred. Batman, Bruce Wayne, has a servant that his parents had. And when his parents died, Alfred became his caretaker. Alfred raised this young Bruce Wayne. Alfred took this man, this young boy, raised him to a man and, and really taught him the ways of, of life and, and protected him. He is still his servant. But Batman and Alfred are family. This centurion and the servant our family. And that is why he went out of his way to make sure that the servant was healed. This is the, the pathway from servanthood to sonship. Because you better believe that when this centurion goes to the great beyond, when he dies, that there is a place in his will, in his inheritance for that servant. And whether it's you will always be a part of this family or when I die, you are free. Here, take this, this this plot of money or land or whatever. You better believe he's going to be taken care of. John 15:15. 15, 15. Henceforth, I call you not servants, for the servant knows not what the Lord does, but I have called you friends. Jesus is talking to the disciples. For all things that I have heard of my Father, I have made note unto you. You have not chosen me, but I have chosen you and ordained you that you should go and bring forth fruit and that your fruit should remain that whosoever you shall ask whatsoever you shall ask of the father in my name he may give it to you we see that same thing up above in the prodigal son story and that your um these things i command you that you love one another if the world hates you you know that it hated me before it hated you if you were of the world the world would love his own but because you are not of the world but i have chosen you out of the world Therefore, the world hates you. Remember the word that I said unto you, the servant is not greater than his Lord. If they have persecuted me, wait, the servant, us, is not greater than his Lord. If they have persecuted Jesus, they will also persecute us. If they have kept my saying, they will keep yours also. But all these things will they do unto you for my name's sake, because they know not him that sent me. I call you not servants. He was calling them servants, not to their face maybe, but in his heart he knew, look, you guys are here to serve. You're here to be in my presence. You're here to to gain from everything that I have. And when I heal somebody, we are healing somebody. When, When we are going and touching and changing lives, you are going and touching and changing lives. Why? Because one day... I'm not going to call you servants anymore. You're going to be my friends. You're going to be my sons. You're going to be my partners. You start out as a servant, but you come out of this as a son. And now you're the one going and healing and touching people and and doing miracles. That is what God has called us to. Luke chapter 12. Let your loins be girded about and your lights burning. And you yourselves like unto men that wait for their Lord when he will return from the wedding. That when he comes and knocks, they may open up unto him immediately blessed are those servants whom the lord when he comes shall find watching verily i say unto you that he shall gird himself and make them to sit down to meet and will come forth and serve them and if he shall come in the second watch or come in the third watch and find them so blessed are those servants first second third watch blessed are them and this know that if the good men of the house had known what hour the thief would come, he would have watched and not suffered his house to be broken through. Be ye therefore ready also, for the Son of Man comes at an hour when you think not. This goes back to the very beginning of this sermon about four hours ago when we started talking about the end times, when we said, look, now is not the the time to say, look, he hasn't been coming. The disciples were saying he was coming soon decades ago in the 80s they said he was coming soon they had these ideas that he was going to come in a certain time and that went out of the window now we're in almost into 2020 surely jesus is not coming soon anymore that's wrong he's coming what does the bible say be ready jesus is coming look busy mark chapter 13 verse 32 But of that day and that hour knows no man, know not the angels which are in heaven, neither the son but the father. Take ye heed, watch, pray, for you know not when the time is. For the son of man is is as a man taking a far journey, who left his house and gave authority to his servants and to every man his work and commanded the porter to watch. Watch ye therefore, for you know not when the master of the house comes at even or at midnight, or at the cock crowing, or in the morning. Less coming, suddenly he find you sleeping. And what I say unto you, I say unto all of you here in this house and watching on this uh, live stream, watch. Father, I thank you. I thank you for all that you have done in this house, in this network, in, in my family. I I thank you that you are here with us. I thank you that your presence abides in this place and and to the places that call and invite you in. We thank you for that. We thank you for your relationship. We thank you for walking with us, for training us, for being with us. We thank you that everything that you have is ours and that that we can take the fruit of that and, and go into this world and take dominion Father, we thank you that you are here, that you are there. We thank you, Lord, that you have called us. Lord, we submit ourselves to you as servants. We submit our our ideas, our thoughts, our agendas. We give them all to you, and we say, whatever you ask, we will do it. Father, because we know that you have called us to be sons, and through servanthood, we become those sons. Lord, equip us. Equip us as we go forth in sonship, to reach this world, to reach the nations. Empower us, Father. Be with us every step of the way, and we thank you for it. We love you, and we ask these things in Jesus' mighty name. Amen.